Okay. So, Jesus what have we got here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> a so, very sparkly green tandem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, a custom maze by a friend of mine, uh, Andy Armour, who runs Eastside Bikes and Armour Custom Cycles. So, steel. And yeah, he works in steel. And this is a bike he made for himself, uh, himself and his partner. And I like to say to people that, um, you know, if you watch Grand Designs and you see when an architect builds their own house, it's the best one, right? So when a bike builder makes their own bike, it's the best one. You know, no expense spared, made with lots of love and consideration. Um, I said this to a Dutch guy that I rode with and he said, oh, we have a different phrase. He said, uh, the plumber's sink is the leakiest, <laughs> but it's not the case in, in this. It's not a sink. It's, it's much, much better. Um, so, yeah, sparkly green. It's got For this episode of Speaking of Suicide, I'm with Zanny Byrne, quite a tired Zanny Byrne, because I met him at the end of his 80th day spent cycling that tandem for Tandem Against Suicide. Zanny's way of encouraging conversations about mental health and fundraising in aid of suicide support, all in memory of his sister, Alice. If you or someone close to you need support, I'll be giving out the details for Mikey's line a bit later in the podcast. I have to give this bike back at the end of the trip, and I have an old tandem too. <laughs> and uh, one of my jobs when I get home is to build a bike shed, and I kind of don't want to do it, and I just want to get a new tandem that splits in two and keep it in the house. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. Now, the significance of the tandem, tell mm -hmm. us about um, why a tandem, mm -hmm. and we're going to come on to what exactly you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. But as I understand it, the, the back seat of the tandem was for your sister. Yeah, so we, my sister and I, so Alice and I, had talked about her joining me on the, the other tandem that I have at home. And... The idea was that she would sit on the back and we'd build up her confidence cycling around Edinburgh. She, we, we hadn't you know, dreamed of this trip together. It was just simply building up her confidence, sharing some of the joy of cycling that kind of I experience and have done for a long time. I kind of thought cycling would solve a lot of problems for her. And sadly, we just didn't make time for it. Uh, something else always came up. Something else was always at the top of the list. And... Yeah, she never, she never joined me on the tandem at all. And it's a, a really big, it's a huge regret of mine. Um, yeah, yeah, so that, that's why the tandem. So um, Alice ended up uh, taking her own life, which is why you didn't end up sharing time on the, the tandem. Yeah. You were saying there that your whole big dream of, of cycling together was to build up her confidence. Mm. Had she struggled with mental health issues? Well, at, at the, yeah, I guess when she died, she was an alcoholic um, and that can come with mental health issues. Uh, you know, she was missing for a long time. There was a big police investigation and we found out as a result of the police investigation that, yeah, she'd struggled for mental health for longer than uh, anyone had really realised. So it was something that she'd kept to herself. Yeah. I don't want to kind of unpick too much of this if it, if it causes you... Um, discomfort to go back there but um, what actually happened you said the police were involved Alice disappeared are you able to give me just an overview of, of mm -hmm. the the story there yep so uh, New Year's Eve um, she went to a party she didn't come back the uh, alarm was raised on New Year's Day when she wasn't back at my parents house and uh, the police took it very seriously from the beginning um, a very big search 
took place over the next couple of months. So door to door, garden to garden, helicopters, divers, that kind of thing. Her body was never found and she went into the sea. How difficult is it that you don't know exactly what happened, that her body wasn't found? Is that a, a, a well, challenging I mean, part of this? Uh, I, I've seen evidence, so I, I, I know that she went into the sea, so that doesn't, doesn't quite, it's not quite the same thing. Um, there was no body, so that, that is difficult for some in, in some respects. Uh, I think that kind of impacts on closure a little bit, but it also means there's not the trauma of seeing a body, seeing her body. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's just how it is, yeah. So, tell me how this idea of the cycle was, was born and what the whole aim of it is, Zani. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it's hard to get to the gem of an idea, like the little kernel of, uh, I don't know, spark or energy at, at the very beginning. Um, I'd gone to a SOBS group, so Survivors of Bereavement by Suicide, and there's one close to me. And being there, I'd found, you know, lots of wisdom, uh, experience, helpful reframing of different things from a really broad range of people. And I didn't know, at the time, I didn't know anyone else who'd lost someone to suicide, so I, I didn't know how to... Uh, I didn't know where to go to get that help and when I went to SOBS I thought this is great um, that this this y you get like lots of knowledge and, in and experience and understanding and compassion from from losing someone to suicide but what do you do with that right like it it's a it's hard-won knowledge and then you've got nowhere for it to really meaningfully go so I thought okay so how can you how can you try and share that knowledge in a slightly different way and the other thing was like you get lots of regrets and things you would do differently. Uh, hindsight's a terrible thing, right? Or a wonderful thing is what they say. I mean, a terrible thing in this instance. And uh, so you don't want people to make the same kind of mistakes. So I was thinking, how would I get my attention? How would you get Zanny's attention, Zanny of two years ago? And what would get my attention would be um, some idiot riding around Great Britain on a tandem. Uh, that, that seems kind of stupid and fun enough to kind of catch me and then you'd maybe share a little bit of information about mental health, suicide prevention, those kind of things. Kind of what, what I can smuggle into an adventure. Yeah. So the idea for Tandem Against Suicide, um, what exactly are you doing? Mm -hmm. You said cycle around the whole of the UK, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's more, it's more than that. And it's also not the UK. People keep pulling me up on that. Um, I'm not going around Northern Ireland, sadly. I'd love to, but I'm not. So it's Great Britain. And I'm cycling a tandem around the coast of Great Britain. Uh, it takes 88 days, and this is day 80. Um, I'm not really sure how many miles I've done, uh, more than I anticipated, um, because, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm being joined on the back by a different person each day, and each person that joins has been affected by suicide or bereaved by suicide in, in one way or another. And in doing that, I just want to talk to them, learn from them, uh, share stories, and try and, I don't know, give people an excuse to talk about pr suicide prevention and that's what I found the bike does really really well it kind of starts conversations with strangers people look at the bike and they think 
whoa, what, like, what, what is that? How does that work? And then you get talking about the bike and then you very soon get onto talking about why you're doing it. And then I found when you go in that way, everyone's willing to talk and everyone has a story about suicide. Um, but I think if you, if you're wearing the charity t-shirt and you're coming up and you're, and you're chatting really directly, I think that can turn some people off. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to, I don't know, raise awareness and, and prevent suicide somehow. This is, this is my way of doing it. Do you think there's something special about being on a bike that uh, allows conversations maybe that would be more difficult if you were just sitting down face to face? I, I do a lot of cycling myself and I've always thought that, for me, it's cycling side by side with someone would often be a great way of of talking about stuff that you wouldn't necessarily normally feel comfortable talking about. Mm -hmm. And I wonder whether, you know, part of the magic of, of this, um, in terms of allowing conversation, is the fact that, that it's connected to a, a bike, not just as a talking piece in itself, because it's a mm -hmm. remarkable bike, but because of what it, it allows you to do and that journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's exactly right. So the conversations that you can have on a, on a tandem and, a, and uh, I think you can have good conversations walking side by side, cycling side by side and in lots of different ways where you're doing something. I think that's important. I think the tandem has a slightly different flavour to it. I think there's something about not having the eye contact, not reading facial expressions, uh, not reading body language, but uh, really feeling connected to the person because you, you literally feel the pedal strokes, uh, you feel the hills together at the same time, you're pulling together, you're enjoying the downhills together, um, all of it is really together. Uh, I think there's a lot of metaphor and symbolism that you can you can talk about in that as well, which is, which is very nice and it introduces nice topics of conversation. But I, I think it, it's also, yeah, you, you mentioned the journey and the highs and lows, the difficulties, the puddles, the rain, the, the, the coffee, the, the sausage rolls, the pastries, the fish and chips, all, all those kind of things experienced together allows you to get to know somebody in a way that you wouldn't face to face over a table um, in a pub or in a cafe or in a therapy room. It's, it's a different way of getting to know somebody and one of the best one of the best ones was um, falling in a river with somebody probably a few weeks ago now. I think it's probably no better way to get to know somebody than falling in a river after five hours cycling. <laughs> you probably needed to cool down after five hours cycling on a tandem together. Um, what's been the response to this? I mean, have you had people queuing up to, to jump on the bike? What's uh, the reaction been? So it, it's a tricky thing to kind of plan and organize from the off. So yeah, initially friends and friends kind of, uh, friends of friends got, got in touch and wanted to join because they had some kind of connection to suicide. And in certain areas, I guess where I have more connections, uh, then yeah, it, there was lots of people. But large stretches of the country, I, I don't know, I don't know people there. So it was much harder to, to get that reach. Now that I've been doing it for 80 days then yeah there's loads of people that would like to join and I, and I had you know lots of backup people in lots of different areas which you know that's a sad thing but it's nice that people want to join and, and be part of it um, but, but logistically it's just it's really challenging but I, I, th I think people do want to take part in this kind of thing it's a little bit different it's physical it's outside and I think from the kind of social media stuff that I've been sharing, people can see that it's working and, and people are really enjoying it. What 
If anything, I mean, you said you wanted to learn from the people who were going to sit behind you and pedal. Um, what have you learned about the the range of people that have have joined you? Who who has been sitting there? <laughs> uh, the the range of people is astonishing. It, it's everybody, and and again. You know, I, I kind of laugh there because of the breadth of people and how much it surprises me, but it also just shows how prevalent suicide is in society. So the, the people that I've interacted or have been part of the project, it's not just the people that sit with me, it's the people that put me up, it's the people that buy me dinner, the people that let me sit in their house or give me a bed for the night or buy me a hotel. And I've had uh, Navy captains, I've had druids, architects, doctors, bricklayers, guys just out of jail, police officers, oil men, environmentalists, MPs, local councillors, artists, musicians, writers, actors, uh, nurses, midwives, drivers, uh, bar staff, waiting staff, uh, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons, cousins, aunties, uncles. It, it's literally everybody. There's not a person that I haven't, I haven't met or engaged with. Is it mainly people who have lost someone they love to suicide? Or have you also had people who've been suicidal themselves? Mm, it's What's both. What's the, the mix been? Yeah, it, it's both. So it, it's probably more people who've lost someone to suicide, but it's also people who've been suicidal themselves. And the, the kind of key thing from the, the latter group that I see, so many people who join who have been suicidal themselves talk about how lucky they are now because they can look back on their, their selves in the past and they can see that things change, circumstances change. Circumstances are the things that kind of put you into this position where you feel suicidal, but over time, you know, relationships change, work changes, bullying stops, uh, like th things, are, things are different over time. And the, the clear message is, or the, the clear kind of drive that I have now is how do you keep people around long enough to see that things change? Or how do you kind of convey to people who are really struggling in the moment that things change? Um, the, the group of people who've lost someone to suicide, um, the circumstances are, you know, really, really different. There's, there's a very broad range of people there, but their experiences are all very, very valuable. And what I got from going to the, the SOBS group is you see a mother talking about losing a daughter. And in listening to, you know, some of the thoughts and feelings that that mother has, that tells me about how my own mother might feel and how I could respond there when a mother joins me on the back of the bike and we cycle for eight hours together and we talk for eight hours together that gives me tremendous insight into what a mother might feel does feel worry about and wonder and then again that helps me think about what my mother might feel and how to support her th those kind of things what's all this done to how you feel where's it you know has it has it changed how you've framed what what happened with alice so, I think it's a, tri it's a tricky question. So, before I set off on the bike, there was a period of about a year when I've been planning this, and that time I was reading and talking to people and, and all those different kind of things. And I think that period of time um, changed what, uh, 
you know, the, the narrative I had in my head about, about Alice. And that's lots of stuff that you get in Rory O'Connor's book, when, when it is darkest. You, you read that and you get a really good guide into what somebody might be thinking, what mental pain feels like, feelings of burdensomeness or feelings of entrapment. Those kind of things are really important and that, that kind of reframes my understanding of what happened to Alice. What I've learned from this is... It, I mean, this, the cycle has made me more optimistic about people generally because I, I found, you know, communities everywhere, absolutely everywhere that, that want to help people everywhere. There's not been a single person that, that hasn't wanted to help when I've, when I've spoken about what's, what's happened. And that also tells me that there isn't a single person that doesn't have a story about suicide in the country. Everyone will know somebody. It might not be a direct relation, but they will know somebody. And when you've got 80 days of people kind of helping you and cheering you on, uh, it's a lovely thing, right? Like, it's hard not to be a bit more optimistic. And at the beginning, I was more pessimistic. You know, I'd lost my sister. Uh, you know, you, you, obviously, you can get into dark places at times. You can feel low. You can feel depressed. You see changes in your behavior. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess another kind of thing about this, like, I, I was testing that idea about grief that you know grief feels like a a great big ball in front of your chest and it can dominate it can be like all you feel right um imagine holding a basketball in front of your chest that that can be what grief feels like and the only way to make that proportionally feel smaller is to grow the rest of you is to stretch out and take risks and do different things and meet different people and then by doing that you are bigger right you're wider and then the basketball of grief stays the same size, so proportionally it's smaller. That, that's something that was said at one of the SOBS groups, and that's something that I've tested, and I can, I can say confidently that, yes, taking risks, being outside, doing different things, meeting new people, does make you feel better. I don't know how long it's going to last, but that's, yeah. Given by the sounds of things, um, Zani, how many people have... have willingly come and, and, and sat and pedalled with you and talked and explored this difficult subject because it, it, it is still seen as, a, a I think, a difficult subject. Um, there's still lots of talk about stigma that associates to the idea of mental health and suicide. Um, were you surprised at all at how much sharing and talking there has been because there seems to be a suggestion that society doesn't want to talk about this stuff but actually your experiences sound to be a bit different to that yeah i i disagree with the idea that society doesn't want to talk about this stuff i think the appetite is there but it's about how you start the conversation how you ask the questions and i think the way we've been doing it at the moment needs um a bit more imagination uh, i think not, not everyone can talk if you sit down face to face. Not everyone can talk through a fair therapy kind of room. And I think people are also on very different timelines. Uh, I think, yeah, one, one clear thing I've learned is that people grieve in very different ways and people are on different timelines from the beginning. And you might see different stages of grief, but they're, they're not all going to come at the same time. So my family members aren't going to be grieving in the same way that I am right at the beginning, although I really want them to. I want to be able to talk about, uh, yeah, about my grief and about Alice. They might not be ready to do that at that time. It might come later. And I think a lot of conflict can kind of come from that, uh, you know, misunderstanding where people are in the kind of grieving process. But 
yeah, the, the appetite is there. It's how you ask the question, how you have the conversations, not rushing it and just thinking a bit more imaginatively about, about suicide. And, and also, I've encountered uh, the occasional kind of attitude and, and um, you know, ideas of stigma. But I think if you, if you don't respond to that straight away uh, with a kind of a reactive kind of response, like, oh, that's abhorrent, like, how can you say that? Um, but you spend a bit more time with that person. I, I really think they, they do have a more nuanced understanding. They have more compassion than you might first think. Um, and not everyone has had the, the privilege or the, the kind of access to enlightened conversations about suicide. And I, I've, I've definitely learned that because you intergenerationally, you know, I've, I've been riding and talking to people in their 80s and they're, they're understanding the kind of norms of the culture they grew up in are really, really different to the ones I grew up in. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't judge them or write them off for kind of expressing the norms of that, of that time. Um, and yeah, I think they will get to a more compassionate place, but you have to spend the time talking and engaging sincerely. Near the start of our conversation, you were saying how when, when you lost Alice, you didn't know anyone else connected to suicide. Um, this must have quite radically changed your, your kind of social map and, and the kind of people you know and interact with. Are you, and presumably much less alone in, in all this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I initially got that from going to the, the SOBS groups, the survivors of bereavement by the suicide groups. There's one near me and I could go to that and then immediately I didn't feel alone. That, that's why it's the charity I want to raise money for because I think there's a guy that goes to our group and he drives 70 miles to get there and 70 miles back and it's, that's terrible. Like he shouldn't have to do that and he shouldn't have to think, do I go this, this month or do I not go based on, you know, the considerations of travel. Yeah, for me, my network has grown massively. I've got friends all around the country, people I want to hear about and stop in on and, and do all those different things. And it's a, it's a lovely feeling, but it's also quite it's deeply sad because, you know, everybody there has lost somebody. And you also kind of see, you just see the benefits of community and you think, God, Alice would have benefited from that. You know that that's the that's the thing that helps people feel more connected. You also think like ah, there's like forests of people lost to to suicide. Like dry, like cycling around the Highlands, you just see woods and forests and all these kind of chopped down trees, and they all look like tombstones from a distance. There was one very clear image, kind of cycling past a church, and the the tombstones were, uh, you know, visible and around the church had been forest as well and they were cut down and they looked in indistinguishable. And you just think, so many people are lost to suicide. They are warm, rich, amazing, interesting people. They would have got on with each other. You know, how, how do you get them together in the first place so they don't feel as alone? Um, and and there, <laughs> there, are ways of, there are ways of doing that. Uh, the, the knowledge is out there about what to say to people, what to do, how to have conversations, read when it is darkest and, and think seriously about what that means for you, your family, your community, your place of employment. That, that will better prepare people. Um, so th the knowledge is out there, the appetite's there. So how, do you, how do you connect people, right? How, how do you connect people um, with the knowledge? <laughs> uh, that's there, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the question now, for me anyway, yeah. Tandon 
Against Suicide is raising money, as you said, for SOBS. Anyone mm -hmm. else that you're um, trying to raise raise awareness and money for? Yeah, um, Papyrus, because I think they, they have been doing a good job. You know, people have heard of them, uh, so you want more people to hear of them. They are, you know, having the conversations about what you need to say, what you need to listen out for, what you should maybe not say, what the myths around suicide are. That That's the, you know, they're, they're doing the stuff that needs to happen now, so um, I would like them to be more successful at that. I, I believe they are quite successful, but you know, more successful would be would be good, yeah. And if someone wants to follow what you're up to, the remaining, uh, how the remaining time on the saddle goes, and to donate money, Zani, where, where do we find out more? So if you just Google Tandem Against Suicide, um, it'll, it'll come up. Um, social media is hard. There's lots of it updating. It's difficult. Most of it's on Instagram. I do update the other stuff. Um, there's a Just Giving page. Again, Tandem Against Suicide. It'll, it'll come up. Thank you for taking time out at the end of a, another, I'm sure, very long day yeah. um, when you would probably rather be inside, sitting, chilling, um, and I've dragged you outside to look at the bike and uh, there's people playing shinty in the background and dogs barking and all the rest of it. But I really appreciate uh, hearing about your story and, uh, yeah, taking time to talk to me. Great, thanks. Nice talking to you. I was talking to Zanny Byrne. And listening to that with me is Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line. Shona, your thoughts? Yeah, two, two strands of thoughts. One is Zanny really helpfully pointed out some resources that he found helpful. And I thought I'll just reiterate them. So one was the SOBS groups, Survivors of Bereavement by Suicide. And um, it sounds like he, he found them in a, a massively helpful resource, that peer support. And I had a look on their website and um, you can just uh, sort of put in your postcode and it'll tell you where the nearest group is. So um, that's an amazingly helpful resource. And the other one was he mentioned Rory O'Connor's book, When It's Darkest, Why People Die by Suicide and What We Can Do to Prevent It. And yeah, just to reiterate, it's such a helpful book. And also on this podcast, we interviewed Rory mm. um, kind of earlier in the season, which was really helpful. And the second and final thing to say was listening to Zanny. It was so inspiring to hear how he found an adventure, a, a shape um, of processing things that worked for him with the tandem, such a creative way that fitted in with stuff that he already loved. And that was his way, it seemed like his way of spreading suicide prevention messages but all and listening and finding his own meaning. And we just want to bring home that we will all be different. Um, we've interviewed people who are writers, who are adventurers, who are walkers, who've created charities to spread awareness and uh, writing journals. And it's really, I think, working with what brings you to life, what makes you feel alive, what gifts you have um, to make, make sense, make meaning, process things. So I think it's a hugely inspiring personalised way um, that he's, he's shown and I'm very excited about it and it will look differently for you. Thanks Shona. Don't forget it is okay not to be okay and if you need someone to talk to you can text Mikey's line on 07786 20 77 55 
or you can contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. And the number for WhatsApp is 01463 729000. You can contact them Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm, Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. Or you can go and visit them at The Hive, 19 Academy Street, Inverness. They're open seven days a week from 6pm to 10pm. Speaking of Suicide is funded by Mikey's Line and the platform is sponsored by Highland-based family firm D&D Paving Limited. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, do get in touch. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of Suicide is produced by Adventurous Audio Limited. Mm-hmm.